Let's look at verse 1 of Acts 20. It says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called on to him the disciples and embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he proposed a return through Macedonia and there accompanied him into Asia, uh, uh, Sopater of Berea, and the Thessalonians, Articius, and Succonandus, and Gaius, and Derby and Timius, and of Asia, uh, Tychius, and Triphemius, and these going before tarried for us uh, at Troas. In the verse 6, it says, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them at Troas in five days where we abode seven days. Now, I want you guys to listen carefully. This is a quote by uh, Flava Whedon. Uh, I think that's a cool name, Flava. Um, It says, Some people come into our lives and quickly go. Some stay for a while, leave footprints on our hearts, and we are never, ever the same. I love that, because it is very true that may have taken place in your life you had those people come you've had that type of impact upon your life upon your heart and you may have been that person who had that impact upon another in that way so as we consider this morning these these uh first few verses of chapter 20 the uproars usually cease right we see that happen all the time people get undone well we have a problem with the anthem guess what it's going to pass, guys, okay? <laughs> Things just come and go. Cam Newton said this, whoop-dee-doo, it's going to come and go. You know, can't believe our president said that, whoop-dee-doo, he's going to come and go. I mean, that's just life, okay? Things happen, hostilities break out, but guess what? They will pass. They will cease. So, be patient, but we need to be sure ready for the next one (laughs) because more will happen, more will come. You see, after Greece, he weathered in Corinth. So this was AD 56 to 57 where he penned the letter to the Romans, okay? I think Romans is the best doctrinal book in all of the scriptures. Um, I encourage you guys to get familiar with it, learn it. But this is where Paul wrote it. And he had uh, such a heart, a desire. He was actually preparing the way for a pastoral visit to Rome. He wanted to go to the capital city of the Roman Empire and hang out. He also coordinated offerings during this time to bring to Jerusalem. So if you look at verse 3 here, Paul and his friends, they uncovered this plot going on on Paul's life. And once at sea, he's probably going to be murdered. So he changes his plans, right? He journeys by land to Macedonia, and then he sailed there to Jerusalem. And then in verse 6, we see Luke once again joins them. Did you see the we there? Okay, so now Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, we, okay, he is now there, and they remain in, in Philippi until the Passover. Now, in verses 7 through 12, we see some sleepy saints here. Let's take a look. 
And upon the first day of the week, verse 7, first day of the week is what? Sunday, right? When the disciples came together to break bread. Wow! Do we have some disciples in the house this morning? Did we come together and break some bread this morning? Oh, we're doing the Bible! I love it! But really, Christian, you should keep the Sabbath day, and that's really Saturday. You should worship on Saturday. Do you guys know when Christ came, when the gospel was going forth to the Gentile world? They met on Sundays. They were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's biblical to go to church on Sunday. But no, you really need to keep the Sabbath day. You're practicing lawlessness. You're going to go to hell if you don't go to church. Read your Bible. Let no one judge you. In Sabbath days, Colossians tells us, right? Or in feasts. Especially we as Gentiles. I mean, if I was a Jew, I'd probably keep the Sabbath. And hopefully as a Jew, I'd know Jesus too. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And there's nothing wrong with worshiping the Lord on Sunday. But Saint, we're called to worship Jesus seven days a week. We should have church every day of the week. It's one of those things, we are called to worship the Lord. Period. So, they got together on Sundays, broke bread. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on uh, the morrow, and continued his speech until when? Midnight. I would have liked to have been there for that sermon. Woohoo! Verse 8. And there were many lights in the upper room chamber where they had gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named uh, Eutychus, and being fallen into a deep sleep, And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep, and he fell down from the third loft, and he was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. And when he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, where uh, not a little comforted. So, verse 7, guys. Um, again, we see early references to worships uh, taking place on Sunday. And since he was leaving the next morning by ship, Paul, he takes all night. <laughs> One last word. Hey, this is the last time I'm going to see you guys, probably. Um, you know, he's sharing with them, um, these Christians uh, in Troas, talking far into the night. So he talked, and he talked, and he talked. Um, every pastor uh, is excited to hear uh, that even the Apostle Paul here had people fall asleep on him. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not just me. The great Apostle Paul had people falling asleep. Um, there's a lot of reason why people fall asleep in church. You know, uh, the church can get stuffy, right? It's warm. Why aren't the windows open? <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's stuffier in here. And it might have been part of you know uh, Eucharist's case here, the flickering lamps casting some hypnosis shadows and raising the temperature of the room. There, he probably had taken refuge in that window just to get some fresh air. Um, to fight the drowsiness. Who knows? Uh, second reason people fall asleep, I think, in church is they don't get a good night's sleep. You know, they're just tired, but hey, I'm still going to go and <laughs> be in fellowship. And you know what? If you ever doze during service, praise God. God gives love or sleep to those whom he loves, right? 
I think that's in Psalm 127, it tells us. Um, a third reason, I think this is a big one, lack of interest in spiritual things. You know? You might be a, be a person who falls asleep every single week in church. It's because you just don't care about the Word of God. You know? That's all it is. Spiritually, who cares? Blah, blah, blah. That's all it sounds like, right? And then fourth thing, it could be a boring preacher. You know? Um, let me find my notes. Poorly organized. <laughs> Rambling materials. You know where people just go down rabbit trails and just talk about nothing and this and that and let's talk about football and blah, blah, blah. This week I was at the coffee shop. Blah. You know? You ever have... Yeah, anyways. And then you the monotone delivery. Too much time spent on needless things. Being out of touch with people's needs. Okay? I've heard some phenomenal monotone preachers before. Man, but it is hard. Like, you got to have like three cups of coffee in front of you. <laughs> this is good, but man, could you just a little bit excited about what you're preaching about? So, I want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 because it speaks into preaching just a little bit. And I do love this. I'm, I'm camping on this for a little bit because I just think it's so cool that Paul preached all night long. You know, how neat is that? I've had a few opportunities to do that at youth retreats through the years or overseas on the mission field where, hey, we have a service starting at 6 o'clock. Let's see who's going to show up. Oh, nobody showed up. Well, I'm all set to preach. Well, an hour or two later, they finally show up because that's just what they do. And there's a ton and a ton of people and you got your sermon ready, you're going, and man, the people are hungry. Like, if you stop, they're going to be angry. They want to hear more of the Word, you know, it's just a beautiful thing. Literally, go two, three, four-hour teachings. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, let's look at verse 9 through 11 together. It says, and moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yay! He gave good heed, and he sought out, and he set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the master's assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Isn't that a cool passage? Yeah, you should highlight that. Okay? He pondered and he sought outward told. This preacher, he studied many subjects. Some conclusions he wrote down in Proverbs. We're told that he set in order and he arranged. So after studying, he weighed his conclusions carefully and they put them into an orderly fashion. And then we're told there were acceptable words. So he used acceptable words. That'd be what? Delightful, gracious, pleasing. Okay? I know some preachers who feel that the only way to preach the truth you need some fire and brimstone mixed in there. <laughs> you know? I come down on people. I don't think we forsake the truth in teaching the word. We don't shy away from the scriptures at all. And if we are teaching the whole Bible verse by verse, we're going to have to go through it all anyways. But I do believe you can do it in a delightful, gracious, pleasing way. You know, one of my favorite 
teachers is Chuck Smith. You know, I've gotten to see him preach a dozen times probably in my life, personally. And it was just beautiful. I mean, he'd be there with a smile, kind words, just teaching the word of God, big smile on his face, telling people they're going to hell if they don't know Jesus Christ. You know, I'm just like, I love that. You know, you're still speaking the truth, but it is in love, you know? It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be out of, of fright. Like, look at how Jesus shared with people. He was so compassionate, you know? I've chosen to use some choice words through the years with people, but it's, again, knowing your audience. And if some people are stiff-necked, legalistic, I encourage you guys to go for it. <laughs> Let them have it. Because there's some people that just won't hear, and you do need to scare the heck out of them. It's like you are blind. You are lying to yourself. You are full of pride and self-righteousness. You are missing the grace of God. You are missing salvation because of all this presupposition crud that you've clung to. And anyways, um, anyways, use delightful words without diluting the message is the point. Like Jesus was able to combine grace and truth. Isn't that what we're told? Full of grace and truth. He was so good at doing that. You know, I've been chewing on John 4, the woman at the well, a lot the last few weeks. I think the Lord might have a message in that or something. I've just been really blessed uh, with some of that. But was he not so gracious with that woman? So compassionate, but yet he spoke the truth to her, you know? Um, and then what's this part here, the, like the goads? What's a goad? <laughs> goad, it's, some, it's a tool that was used to prod animals. So goads, to prod people, to pay attention, okay? To pursue, to pursue truth, you know? What's going to take that to happen? Okay, there's times that I prod you guys. You know, I shared before about our inductive Bible seminar that's coming up. I spoke into that a little bit. We've been announcing it for weeks. It's in your bulletins. I'm prodding you. Why? Because it's good for you. <laughs> I love you guys. I know if you come, it'll be a good thing that will be beneficial to the glory of God, to your walks in the Lord. I just know that to be a truth. And it's good to prod people once in a while. Um, so, And then it says, like nails. Well, these nails give something to hang what you've learned. Hey, I got this. Okay, I'm going to hang it right here. So good teachers require both students motivated to study and learn, which I'm thankful for. There's a reason why you guys hang at Freedom Fellowship. You want to know the Word of God. Okay? You care more about His glory than about, well, it's all about me. And I really hope today, Pastor, you preach a good you know, message that centers on me because it's all about me. No, the Word of God is all about Him, okay? That's why inductive study is so good, right? Because we take the Word of God, it is the authority in our life, and we're to take our lives to fit according to what He has spoken. Not, hey, this is what I want out of life, my best life right now. I'm to be blessed. It's all about me, this spiritual experience, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on of the junk being taught in the church today because they teach deductively. I want to teach into this, and I'll find a few scriptures that might back that up. You know, we'll go back and read the context of those scriptures. Anyways, you guys know better. But a good teacher, it requires students who are motivated to study and to learn. Thank you, guys. Even this last, three, last week, we've had three new women's Bible studies start up in this little fellowship. There's just good things happening. You guys are hungry 
for the word of God. The men just started going through absolute surrender yesterday, which is going to wreck us in a good way. <laughs> you know? It's good stuff. Even Jeremiah had our men's study this week. Jeremiah is a hard book to go, but it was a good study, wasn't it? It's just like, oh boy, (laughs) I wish the church would hear this. (laughs) So it's just good stuff. But teachers also that nail down lessons so they make sense. And that's something I hope to do. I pray over as I prepare to study is I want you guys to understand what we're going through. I know some teachers that are good, but they're so high and lofty. There's ways of communicating these truths in a way that everybody can understand. I hope and pray as we get together and open God's word that if someone comes to visit that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that the sense of the scriptures, the word, would still be able to impact them to make sense that they would be, yeah. And some of you guys who've been in the Lord for decades, I know you've been blessed. I don't know how many times you come up. I've never seen that before. You know, even though it's being simply taught, the word of God is profound. There's always something new. There's always another depth. And I think that's something that we all need, not just me as the teaching pastor, but each and every one of us who are called to make disciples. You know, we need to meet people where they're at. It's one thing I love about the giftedness of our kids' church teachers. You know, they're gifted because they can take a passage and they can make it sense, make it makes sense for a little child to understand biblical truths. That's a gift, but that's something they prepare to do. They work on, they pray how to communicate those things. That's a good teacher. So you need teachers like that, and you need students that are wanting to learn. Now, let's hurry to Jerusalem. Look at verse 13 back in Acts chapter 20 now. And we went before to ship, and we sailed on to Assus and intended to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Assus, we took him in and came to uh, Midland. And we sailed thence, and we came the next day over against Caius. And the next day we arrived at Samus, and we tarried in Trogolim, and the next day we came to Miletus. And for Paul, verse 16, had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend time in Asia, for he had hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. I think that's pretty cool. The one thing that really jumped out to me on here is verse 13. He did this on foot. (laughs) On foot. Think about that. Probably to gain opportunity just for some quiet time with the Lord. I don't know how many of you guys walk, but it's good just to go for a walk. To have that time just to be still with the Lord. To talk with Him. Okay, Maybe you're able to do that in your home on your lazy boy. Praise God. You know? But when you got a bunch of little kids running around the house, <laughs> sometimes hey, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. That's what I'm doing. I just need time to talk to the Lord, to get centered with Him, right? So verse 14, Paul boarded the coastal ship and skirted the rugged shoreline, okay? 
Some sort of commuter boat was probably being used. Verse 16, sometimes God's servants just need to be alone. They need time to think, to meditate, to pray. And Paul knew what, it faced, what, what he was going to be facing when he got to Jerusalem, the danger there as a follower of Jesus Christ that awaited him. Now let's take a look at his farewell address. Verse 17, And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, and after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befall me by the lying in wait of the Jews." And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and I have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost uh, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And take heed, therefore, to yourselves and to all the flock over uh, the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Wow. So Paul's farewell address here, this message to the Ephesian elders, okay? He is going to review with them past ministry, some present concerns in future dangers so this is very unusual as it is the only address that paul made to the christians in acts the only one also you may not know but ephesus really became the center of the christian hub for the next 200 years think about it paul there wrote first corinthians timothy there in ephesus succeeded paul Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy while he was there. And then the Apostle Paul took up Ephesus as his home. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John there and his gospel while he was in Ephesus. 
How many of you guys like the book of Ephesians? One of my favorites. So good. So good. It talks about who we are in Christ. A lot of people deal with identity issues. If you as a Christian are just confused about who you are, if you're getting tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine in life, if you worry about things, get into the book of Ephesians. It's going to tell you who you are in Christ. And the last half of it tells you, then as a result of who you are in Jesus, this is how you ought to live then for Jesus. It's a beautiful book. How many of you guys have read 2 Ephesians? Raise your hand. All right. I bet, you most, I bet you most of you have. Do you know in Revelation there are seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches? And one of those seven letters was to the church of Ephesus. That tone, that letter to Ephesus was a little different than the first one we read in scriptures. Okay, they have fallen from their first love. Okay, hey, we become rich. We have it all together. Look at us. We're spiritual. We're awesome, church. And Jesus is just like, <laughs> So I encourage you guys to read 2 Ephesians 2. Um, where are we? A good teacher is well ordered. Um, all right, let's move on from Ephesus. <laughs> let's talk about the past ministry going on here. And he laid that out in verses 18 to 21 for you and I. He says, he reminds them of his conduct, his style of ministry and devotion while among them. And in verse 20, we're told that it was public. There was a public ministry going on along with a private. So it sounds like it was both pastoral and homiletic at the same time. Like he was just going, where are the believers? You know, hey, there's people out here that need to hear. The masses are coming together. Some believe, some don't. They all need to hear about Jesus. And then we're going to go from house to house. We're going to go into people's homes and meet with them there. So preaching is the easiest part. It's actually living it that makes ministry real, practical, alive. Not like some pa- uh, pastors who are on weekend or weekdays invisible and on Sundays incomprehensible. Or the preacher who preaches cream but he lives on skim milk. And it's sad to say, I know a lot of pastors, and I know it's true. And I feel bad. I feel bad for their congregations. And I'm not saying that pridefully, that I have it all together. I know it's but by the grace of God. You know, but I think if you did come and hang out in my home, you wouldn't see too much of a difference. You know, I'm not a perfect guy. I struggle in the flesh. I have my temptations, you know. But I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my kids. I want them to love Jesus. You know? And for some people, there are hirelings in the pulpits of the church today. We're paying you, pastor, to run the show, run this business. We want to hire you. And when the going gets tough, I'm off. Or a better career opportunity comes up, I'm gone. You know? That's what I appreciate. Paul's one of my heroes. Let me be preaching into that next weekend. Okay. He's probably my biggest hero. I love the Apostle Paul. He is a great example. And I love this farewell address because he just bears his heart. You know, here it is, guys. This is the real deal. I love you. <laughs> I care about people. This is what I'm doing. And then in verse 21, he says, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Testifying what? 
Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance and faith must go together to complete each other. Kind of like a door and its post. Okay, Repentance is the door which shuts out our sin. Then faith is the post with, yeah, with its hinges are fixed. Okay, They have to work together. See, a door without a doorpost to hang on, it's not a door at all, right? And a door post without a door hanging on it, it's no value whatsoever. So what God has joined together, let no man separate. Catch it, guys. Repentance, turning from sin, faith trusting Christ for salvation. Okay, My Calvinist friends, please listen up right now. Everywhere we read in the scripture, there's a call that goes forth to repent and then believe. It is not backwards as you teach. God calls man to repent. When God himself came in the likeness of man, he called people. He was preaching the kingdom of God and that message was to repent and to believe. A Calvinist will tell you God forces you to believe. Then you repent. First of all, it's scripturally backwards. And secondly, God doesn't force anybody to turn to him, to believe in him. We do not see that in scripture. What we do see in scripture is we are called to turn to him. Okay? And it would just be goofy. The scriptures would just be goofy if Calvinist thought was real. Why would Jesus even call? Why would Paul write this, say this, if we couldn't do it anyways? Why would a call go forth for a person to repent if they couldn't repent of themselves anyways? That's just stupid. It doesn't make sense. Some of you guys might be like, why are you fired up about this? Because it doesn't make sense. We're celebrating 500 years of the Reformation. The Reformation needs more reforming. The only reforming I see in theology is just getting worse and worse and farther away from the truth of the Scriptures. It is gross. God loves the world, not just some of the world. He loves all and desires all to come to Him. And if we as Christians are buying into this bad doctrine, our hearts are going to be affected, our witness is going to be affected, and people are going to go to hell as a result of it. That is the problem with Calvinism, guys. Think about it. If I came to you, hey, in order to get to heaven, you need to fly. Just fly. Fly, and you'll be saved. Well, that's stupid. That message makes no sense. I can't just fly. What are you saying to me? That's the same message the Calvinists. Calvinists. The only way I could fly is if God helped. That's the only way I'm going to fly. God would have to do it. Do you guys understand why that message doesn't make any sense? He loves us. Also for my Calvinist friends. Seeking the Lord. It hit me this last week. We've just been going verse by verse through the Bible on our men's study on Thursday mornings. 
I think this is our third trip through the entire Bible. We've been hitting the, pro- or the prophets. And it dawned on me, why don't Calvinists preach the prophets? I've listened to hundreds of studies by Calvinists. Very few are scriptures expounded on from the prophets. And as I'm reading Jeremiah, the cry was for the people. God's heart was people. You need to, you're wicked. You need to turn from your sins. You need to seek me. A Calvinist says you cannot seek God. And yet throughout scriptures, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, God says, seek me. And when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. You seek me. Again, if that's not true, God's a liar. His message is jacked up. His word is no longer to be trusted. Guys, we are called to what? Proclaim the gospel to the end of the world. And what is the gospel message? There's a God that loves you. He loved you so much he was willing to come to be like his own creation. To do what none of us could ever do. And if you've read the Bible, you know that man has failed miserably since day one. There's been no hope. No matter how God worked with man, we always fell short. So he came to do what we couldn't do because he so loved what the whole world. Even today, as he's now risen from the dead, he's alive, he paid a price, he shed his own blood upon the cross so we could be forgiven of our sins. He made this beautiful promise that he would send the Holy Spirit to do what? Convict, convince the world of truth. God's doing his part. He is there. But the problem is we say no. We harden our heart. We say, no, I want to be my own God. I want to live my own way. I don't really care what your opinion is, God. My opinion is all that matters. Shame on us. God loves us. He desires that none should perish. That is the truth of the gospel. And that's where we guys we get to go out and we get to preach the good news. We get to share that with other people. And hopefully in that, something's going to come alive in them. Something's going to spark. They're going to see, whoa, I am a sinner. I have rebelled against God. There's nothing I can do. There's no work I can do to save myself. This cross ordeal, (laughs) Jesus, This is kind of making sense. And hopefully there's a seed planted where that person begins to seek the Lord. Guys, we're called to seek him. And the reason why people go to hell is because they don't seek the Lord. Well, it's not their fault. Yeah, it is their fault. We're told in Romans chapter 1 that man's without excuse. There is a creator. What are we going to do with that? Because God says if we seek him, we will find him. He's revealed himself to us. But you know how sinful we are? We're teaching our kids today that nothing blew up. There's no creator. That's how wicked we are, guys. We don't even love our kids enough to tell them the truth. Hey, you should really seek for truth. You should really seek out this God of creation. Shame on us. Anyways, 
I hope you guys understand that when the scriptures lay out that there has to be a turning, a repentance, turning to God, turning from our sin, okay? Repentance is a key part of salvation. A lot of people think, well, if I just accept Jesus Christ, just throw him into the mix. I still do whatever I want. He'll be my savior, but as far as my Lord, I'm my own Lord. I'm not going to let anybody... You're probably not saved. <laughs> Lord and Savior. That's what the scriptures say. Okay? We're not saved by works. But again, if you repent, you're going to turn to him. <laughs> you're going to be turning away, obviously, from something else. Your allegiance is going to change to him. And it tells us here that we also have to have faith in the mix. And what is that? It's just trusting God. Trusting Christ with your salvation. So let's let go of sin and lay hold of Christ. Simple. I love what Patrick Morley said. He writes uh, that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception. He says this, listen carefully, that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change of belief without a change of behavior. Okay? We're called to be fruit inspectors. <laughs> okay? If we see a brother or sister in Christ who's living in sin, we love them enough to come alongside them and say, hey, bro, hey, sis, what's going on? If they're a true believer, there's going to be repentance. You know what? I have been really struggling. I have this conviction. I just, you know, there's going to be a humbleness, brokenness there. But when I go to a Christian who's living in sin and they could care less, you know, I normally find myself on my knees just praying for them. Lord, I think they need to get saved. <laughs> like, you know, it's one of those things when you're born again of the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of truth. It's going to guide you into truth. And I think each one of us can testify to areas in life right now. None of us have arrived and are perfect, you know, but we see our sin for what it is. You know, we know it's wrong. There's that conviction, okay? We're asking for help from the Lord. We're working with Him on those things. And Lord willing, we're growing, right? Sanctifying. And a good way to test is just to be brutally honest with yourselves. Am I more like Jesus today than I was six months ago? Even a month ago. You know, we should be growing, okay? None of us are going to be perfect by the time we go home, you know? But we should be getting closer and more like Jesus so you guys who are a little bit older and starting to get gray hairs, and you've been in the Lord for a while, <laughs> you should look a lot more like Jesus than your younger brothers and sisters. You know, there's that growth. And the thing that's beautiful, guys, we can start spiritually growing whenever. You can get saved today, and you can start growing in the Lord. And all it is is a repenting in faith. Even once you're saved, guys, isn't there always a turning back to God? Messages of this world, temptations of this world, the fiery darts of the enemy, you know, they all come bombarding in. What do we do? Oh, I got to turn back to Jesus. I got to fix my eyes upon him. <laughs> That's the key. We turn to him. All right. Past concerns. Let's go to verse 22. Or actually, 22 to 27. I won't read through it again. Uh, look at verse 24. We'll hit on this. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy 
in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So will we finish our race with joy? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. It's kind of hard, Pastor. (laughs) Life is hard. It is. And if you missed last week's study, go listen to it online. (laughs) We talked about the peace of God. There is a joy there um, in the Lord. It's there for us to receive. So verses 24 to 26, I love this. We see Paul, he saw himself as an accountant, right? I count as a runner. I finish my race as a steward, the ministry which I received, a witness to testify, a herald, preaching the kingdom, and a watchman, right? Innocent of blood. So what a responsibility to be a servant of God. I hope you guys grasp that. It's a huge responsibility God's given us. So Christian teachers must deliver the whole counsel of God. They must do it, okay? If we're not sharing the whole counsel of God, we're ripping off God's people. We're keeping them from truth. You see the positive, the negative, the soothing, and the corrective. You saw Paul by lip and life proclaimed the whole counsel of God. I love that. He taught the word, (laughs) and he also lived the word. And that's what people should see in our lives. Now there are some future dangers that he brings up. To sum up Paul's speech, he said, I've done all I can for you, now it's up to you. (laughs) That's what he laid out. He's like, I poured myself out for you guys. Now you got to do your part. And that's hard for a pastor to say. And I'll tell you guys, I'll, I'll let you a little bit into my life as a pastor. One of the hardest things for me um, is to let people go. For so long, I go out of my way. Hey, you need a ride to church? I'll pick you up. Hey, let's get together together for coffee so we can actually read the word because I know you're not going to do it unless I actually sit down with you and open up the Bible with you. Let me pray for you every morning, every evening, throughout the day. Let me hold your hand because this is how you're going to walk. And as I'm getting older, the Lord's teaching me that's not the way it's to be done. Everybody has a choice. Free will again. There you go, my Calvinist friend. Um, (laughs) We all have choice. Okay? No one can make you be saved. No one can make you walk with the Lord. Okay? We have brothers and sisters that come along to shepherd, to love us, to point us to Jesus. And there may be seasons where, hey, I'm going to help you along. <laughs> Let's go together. But ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone has their own choice. And the hard thing for me is having someone who is resisting even if I'm holding their hand, they're pulling away all the time. Come back over, and they just want to run. Eventually, it's just like, okay. And that's where discernment comes in from the Lord. Because God's called us to love people, right? And we need to love people. But there are times where the Lord's going to tell you, you've done your part. <laughs> I have someone else for you to be loving on, spending your time and your energies with. So, um, Verse 28, let's read that because it speaks into eldership a little bit, which this whole farewell addresses to the elders there. It says to the elders, Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed 
the church of God. That's the primary role of the church, is to teach the word, to feed the flock of God. But the church emphasizes so many other things. Oh, worship was so good today. I was just soaking in the presence of Jesus. I'm so glad the preacher decided not to preach this morning so we could just sit here and soak in the Lord. Bummer! Man, experience Jesus. It is good. But the primary biblical, if you look to the scriptures, purpose of the church is equipping of the saints. And that is through the word of God. I wish the church would take that a little more serious. Anyways, where was I? 28. Hey, we're to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own, with his own blood. So this is a good word. Um, December, we're going to have uh, a Sunday morning. We are bringing on four new elders here at Freedom Fellowship. Uh, we have uh, Jill Lamers, Joel Parker, Steve Smits, and Brian Van Coolen. They're going to be coming on as elders for our fellowship. That is a gift to our church, guys. That is a blessing. These men, yeah, praise the Lord. And you know why I'm totally okay with these guys? I didn't pick them, okay? Our, our, our elders pick elders. That's how we work here at Freedom. But one of the things that we look for in elders are men that are qualified biblically, but secondly, men that love the flock. I don't know if you guys caught that here and stuff, but the shepherds are to love the flock. And one thing I can say about each, every, each and every one of these men, even if this is your first time at Freedom Fellowship, I know that they already love you and care about you spiritually. That's one thing I know about each one of these men. They love the church. They want to see people walking with Jesus, growing in Jesus. And I'm excited about that. They have a heart to serve. And the one thing that God's asking is that men will be faithful. I can look into their lives. They've been faithful to their wives. They've been faithful in their walks with the Lord. So we are very blessed at Freedom to have these men come on board, and we're going to have a special Sunday morning service together um, in December uh, to recognize them in that way, to pray over them, and yeah, be blessed by them. Um, so, again, verse 28. Okay, this is a scripture pattern that a minister take heed first to himself. So I think that's a good word for you guys who are coming on. Satan doesn't want you to be an elder in a church. you got to be aware of that, and that's where the scriptures say, hey, take care of yourself. And sometimes, guys, isn't it easy as we're serving and ministering to others? We just pour ourselves out, but we're never getting filled up. That's why we need time with the Lord. We need to have that time to be still, that intimacy with the Lord, and to minister out of that intimacy. So whatever, what water, it never rises above its level. So what we are, uh, are will determine our preaching, and what we do will never rise above what we are. So spiritual health today is not a guarantee of spiritual health tomorrow. Don't take it for granted. You guys might be in a real good place with Jesus today. It doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, uh, which, well, yeah, you could find yourself in a month from now. How did I, I never thought I'd find myself in this place. How did I get here? It doesn't take long, guys. That's why we're called to regular fellowship. Okay, We need that. I got some of you guys who text me on a regular basis. Just a scripture. That's super encouraging. You know, Just to be a part of the family of God. Just to be there. To keep each other in check. Pointing each other to Jesus. So we need to consciously and consistently sustain character traits that foster holiness. And I love here that it calls... 
uh, our Lord is our, our shepherd. Okay, Our Lord is called the good shepherd, right? He's the good shepherd. Think about that for a second. The shepherd who died, John 10, 11. The great shepherd who lives, Hebrews 13, 20. The chief shepherd who is coming again. You guys know he's coming. Okay, 1 Peter 5, 4. So his ministers are rightfully called shepherds and their people sheep. Howard Hendricks said this, if you can't stand the smell of sheep, you shouldn't be a shepherd. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 32. We'll start wrapping this up. With an upward hope. I love how he concludes this. Uh, It says in 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Woohoo! So I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you, you ought to support the weak and remember the words of our Lord, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had spoken this, he kneeled down and he prayed with them, and they all wept. And he fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accomplished or accompanied him unto the ship. So, really, verse 32 is a beautiful benediction. We've been reading that as we've been going through Acts at the end of service. Well, here it is. He calls them what? Look upwards, guys. Look up to the Lord. And he commends them to God and to the word of his grace which would what? Build them up and give them a full inheritance as members of the Christian community. So in verse 34, Paul shows uh, his hands as he spoke. And then in verse 35, it is better to give than to receive. Have you guys heard that before? He's stealing from the master's words. I think those are the best words to steal from, right? So Paul drops us uh, us uh, a flower from the master's speech. A more blessed it is because it is more godlike. It is uh, it is more fruitful, and it is the consequence and the consumption of receiving. As we receive from the Lord, we give. Okay, it's more blessed to give. That's in his nature, and the more we give, and that's something I hope you guys are doing. Every year that you're in the Lord, as you guys are planning your budget, that, hey, you're, you're being able to be more of a giver and more of a giver in life. Why? Because it's just part of growing in Christ. It's what we like, you know? We're to, we're to have that same mentality, that same nature, you know? And how does that look? It's not a big thing. Well, I, I tithe all the time, you know? Well, great. whoop de do. You know? <laughs> that's something God asks us to do. He's called us to be givers. And that looks like so many different things in our lives, down to the littlest things, you know, however that looks. It might be your time, your energies, you know, whatever. You know, do you see the need? Do you see the person as you're driving by carrying five bags of groceries? Why don't they have a car to carry all that stuff? Are you willing to swing over and give a person a ride? It can be simple as simple as that. You know, but are we looking for areas that we can give? I hope so. 
So, um, yeah. All right, jumping down to verse 36 to 38. Um, how sweet the friendship here. Uh, it takes a minute to say hello and forever to say goodbye. You know, I love that. I want to share this story in closing this morning. It's of a missionary who was returning home after many years of service and was asked, tell me what you found when you arrived in New Guinea. Found? I found something that looked more hopeless than if I had been sent into the jungle of tigers. A jungle of tigers. What do you mean? Why, the people seemed utterly devoid of moral sense. If a mother was carrying her little baby and the baby began to cry, she would throw it into the ditch and let it die. If a man, his father, break his leg, he would leave him by the roadside to suffer by himself. They had no compassion whatsoever. They didn't even know what the word meant. Well, what did you do for them? I thought it best to show them my faith by my works. When I saw a baby crying, I picked it up and I consoled it. When I saw a man with a broken leg, I sought to mend it. When I found people distressed and hungry, I took them in, comforted them, and I fed them. Finally, they inquired, what does this mean? Why are you doing this for us? Then I had my chance, and I preached the gospel. Did you succeed? My friend, said the missionary, when I returned home on furlough, I left a church. So Lord, may we stay for a while in people's lives that we might leave endearing footprints in their hearts. Amen? Amen. Why don't you guys stand to your feet? And now, brethren, now you guys know where the benediction is. How many of you guys found it beforehand? A few of you guys. Awesome. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Amen? Amen.